0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Close Talking with me, Jack rossiter Munley, And me, Connor McNamara-Strat. We are two guys who love poetry and we are here today to talk about it. Uh, the poem that we have today is called What the Living Do by Marie Howe. Quickly, our format is that we read a poem, we discuss the poem, talking about it closely, and then at the end we read the poem again. So before I read the poem the first time, a little bit of background on Marie Howe. She was born in 1950, worked as a reporter and teacher before getting her MFA, and now teaches at Sarah Lawrence and Columbia. Her latest work is called The Kingdom of Ordinary Time. That was published in 2009. And she is a former New York State Poet Laureate from 2012 to 2014 following in the footsteps of such other luminaries as Billy Collins, who was the poet Laureate of All of America for a little while there. So pretty interesting lady. Um, Another little piece that is going to end up tying into the poem is that she is the oldest of nine children, and she had a brother named John who died of AIDS. And so the poem that I selected is called What the Living Do. Johnny, the kitchen sink has been clogged for days. Some utensil probably fell down there. And the draino won't work, but smells dangerous. And the crusty dishes have piled up, waiting for the plumber I still haven't called. This is the everyday we spoke of. It's winter again. The sky is a deep, headstrong blue, and the sunlight pours through the open living room windows, because the heat's on too high in here, and I can't turn it off. For weeks now, driving or dropping a bag of groceries in the street, the bag breaking, I've been thinking, this is what the living do. And yesterday, hurrying along these wobbly bricks in the Cambridge sidewalk, spilling my coffee down my wrist and sleeve, I thought it again. And again later, when buying a hairbrush. This is it. Parking. Slamming the car door shut in the cold. What you called that yearning. What you finally gave up. We want the spring to come and the winter to pass. We want whoever to call or not call. A letter, a kiss. We want more and more and then more of it. But there are moments, walking, when I catch a glimpse of myself in the window glass, say, the window of the corner video store, and I am gripped by a cherishing so deep for my own blowing hair, chapped face, and unbuttoned coat, that I'm speechless. I am living. I remember you.
1: I love that poem. It is so good and so intense. I know. Uh, Gives me the shivers. It's like there's certain poems where at the end you get that feeling in the heart that's just kind of like a sense. It's like a And then it just sends like the chills everywhere. And you're like, I don't really know why that happened. But it's like
0: that's... definition of poignancy anyway It, it is absolutely the case i think the last two lines of that poem as it's written out that's the last two lines of the poem are just like whoa but i think in some ways it's the two lines before that that really set you up for them because almost everything that's mentioned is leading up to that moment and you have I think two things that are interesting going on there because throughout the poem, you have these different things that go wrong. The draino won't work. Who's dropping a bag of groceries and then the bag breaks and then she spills her coffee and she's out buying a hairbrush, but it all crystallizes in this moment of her seeing her reflection in the window and you get a callback to almost every single one of those, not the sink, but you could theorize that she's out running errands to get something to fix the sink. Seeing herself in the window glass, she then notes her blowing hair, she bought a hairbrush, her chapped face and unbuttoned coat, the same coat on which she probably spilled the coffee and were already out in the winter. So you just sort of see all of this coming together. The scene is condensing down narratively into this moment, the same way that her thoughts are going from this scattered everyday place into noticing herself in the window, having that reflect back to her, her own existence and vitality, and then that leading to her, you know, sort of final remembrance. Yeah,
1: exactly. And so, yeah, the poem is interesting, just like sort of what happens in the poem. Um, It begins with, you know, if you know Marie Howe's life, then maybe you know, like Johnny is her brother or something who's passed away. Um, but if you're coming with that, without that understanding, reading that poem, you think this is an address maybe to someone who's living, or um, there's there's not indication immediately that, that Marie Howe is talking to someone who's no longer um, alive. And then all it is is just an accumulation of, Of lists of yeah shit that she's dealing with basically
0: um and grievances it's it's an airing of grievances yeah it's just like oh the sinks all backed up and the, the spilling my coffee like when i first read this poem i was set up for it to be a complaint yeah and the title indicates there might be more and it's like going to go to a place where all this tiny stuff is what makes life worth living, which is a component of the message, but how it gets there is much more interesting.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's why I love this turn, which I think sort of happens. So the line, um, parking, slamming the car door shut in the cold, what you called that yearning. And then the next stanza, what you finally gave up. Um, And so we've had this list of just like Boring, mundane crap of life and then what you called that yearning which is really interesting because that's the stuff that maybe the speaker Marie Howe hasn't appreciated or doesn't appreciate but this you does appreciate Um, but then that's further twisted because Marie Howe is the one who's alive who does not have the yearning for this stuff and Johnny is no longer here um, and so it, it becomes I think starts to become evident at that point that she's seeing all these things also from the lens of This is what the living do. This is what you Thought was living was about and cherished
0: What was really so that I find that a very interesting reading because for me the turn I Don't find the turn myself in the what you called that yearning. I find mm-hmm. the turn in what you finally gave up. Mm-hmm And where I immediately went, not knowing anything about her own personal history or attachment, there were two things that I connected to, which were it sounded like an address to a life partner, a romantic partner of some sort, because particularly because it starts on the domestic side in the house, it sounds like the kind of things that a husband or wife or any, you know, cohabitants would be dealing with and that would in the normal course of life be annoyances but when the other person is gone that mundane stuff is sort of how you recognize their absence so if you have a wife who is always fixing things around the house when those things are broken after her departure through you know divorce or death or whatever you notice those in a fond way the the fond presence of absence in the mundane everyday problems, right? So that was my first thought. But also the way that she wrote what you finally gave up made me at first unsure whether this was a poem about suicide.
1: Yeah, I had that same thought
0: too. But what I think is actually going on and you're pointing out the previous line about what you called that yearning, what that begins to read as is maybe this is the case. That in life, her brother Johnny was an incredibly positive person who found the bright side of all these little downturns. To me, what you called that yearning is someone who is too sick to do everyday things or too weak from illness to do everyday stuff. And that's a, part, a point where the everyday becomes something to aspire to. Wow. And yeah. then at the end of illness, that's what you finally gave up
1: at the end of your illness. That makes a lot of sense. So one part that I love... So we've sort of talked about how there's this setup relationship between the speaker and Johnny, and it's not clear until sort of like two-thirds or most of the way through that maybe this person is gone, and it's really not clear at all explicitly until the very last line. And one way that this works, I think, to sort of make that turn surprising is how long the lines are in this poem. So like every line except for the last line, this is like the whole first line. Johnny, the kitchen sink has been clogged for days. Some utensil probably fell down there. Um, That's like almost to the margins of the page probably. And the effect, especially because there's all this crap that she's sort of mad about, you are really living in the stuff of life that she's living in, which is helped because of how long the lines are. So you you have less of an opportunity to be looking ahead to what might be coming, which I think formally makes the turn all the more wrenching. And I think it's also particularly apt because because I love how in the second to last stanza, but there are moments walking when I catch a glimpse of myself in the window glass and I'm gripped by a cherishing. And so that works because it's not just us who needs to be living there with her, but in fact, the speaker seems also so like 95% of the time, just like mad about this small stuff. And then only in small moments does is she gripped by this cherishing and remembers Johnny, who she's lost, Um, and that really reminds me of, like, how when you lose someone who you care about a lot, you know, in, in, in the beginning, you're often consumed by grief, but as the months progress and the years progress, mostly you're just absorbed by the quotidian parts of your life, but in those moments where something flashes and then you remember them, you're overcome by that grief and that cherishing. Um, And so the long lines, I think, really help let the reader experience this grieving in the way that Marie Howe is also experiencing it.
0: I think that's definitely there. And the way, not only are the lines very long, but many of them bleed into each other. So the first two lines are Johnny, the kitchen sink has been clogged for days. Some utensil probably fell down there, period. Next line, and the draino won't work, but smells dangerous. And the crusty dishes have piled up. And that sentence doesn't end until the middle of the third line in the second stanza. And right. so it really is not only pulling you through these longer lines, but they're running into each other. And that has the additional effect of, you know, mundane problem piled upon mundane problem and it puts you in the headspace of someone who's trying to get their sink fixed and trying to run Down the street to get to the bookstore to buy a gift And then they spill coffee on their sleeve and it's like one thing to the next to the next to the next and it Piles up very quickly just in the way that the text is almost piled on top of itself Rushing to come at you line after line after line
1: Exactly. Yeah, and the and yeah, so there's long lines and long sentences too and and they're bleeding into each other. And then that sort of also makes that last very last line all the more powerful. The the last line is just I am living, I remember you. Two sentences, one line that is probably a quarter of the length or a third of the length of, of literally every other line that's come before. And so it's it's it sort of is has the burden of taking up the space of all these longer lines um, that have come before it and that just makes us read so much more into that I think um, which is beautiful
0: it is and as the poem goes on in those last lines, they are still long lines, but they're increasingly broken up by shorter sentences and more creative and frequently deployed punctuation. Starting really, I think in the fourth stanza um, where the title of the poem is called out, this is what the living do. From that point on, these lines are getting increasingly knocked down. You have a one word sentence in parking, and it just keeps sort of condensing down, sort of as you feel, you know, as I said at the beginning, you, you sort of feel all of this clutter of life is becoming stripped away as she enters a more reflexive, reflective space that is really brought to a point by catching her herself in the in the window. Cause she's thinking about all this, it sort of gets added to the mix of daily life beforehand in the fourth stanza, which starts, I've been thinking, this is what the living do. So as she's rushing around doing all of these things, the thought sort of enters her head. Oh, this is the stuff of life. I'm doing, you know, everyday things. And then that becomes more intensely reflective over the next several stanzas and comes to a point right at the end of the poem. You know, we've been talking a lot about how this is about sort of grieving, or there's
1: like this intense reflectiveness But that's in all kind of stuff we're reading into it, which I think is the power of the poem, because the last two lines by themselves, I am living, I remember you. Those detached, I am living, that's not an emotional thing to say necessarily. You know, it has to be built into context. It's not, I miss you, I'm grieving, I'm devastated. None of those words that have sort of built in like... um, Denotative sort of like what the meaning of the word actually is the loss isn't there and then I remember you Still is very restrained. It's a very restrained. It's not like I remember all that you have meant to me I remember You know the good times we used to have I remember how much pain I'm in it's just I remember you at all to me. That's like one of the 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 real powers of poetry that I think this this poem exemplifies is what, what you can do with sort of suggestive restrained language if you have sort of properly built a context around it.
0: I think that's a huge part of this poem. I really like that you brought that out because number one, the word death isn't mentioned anywhere in it. Method of death is not mentioned anywhere in the poem. This is a poem for those left for those of us who have lost someone. And it could be anyone who's lost someone. There is no specificity. The point is to have you thinking about how you are living now and think about the fact that you are alive as exciting and interesting in and of itself and that all those who are no longer alive, you are still here to remember. One other thing I wanna pull out is the stanza that starts with the line that is the major sort of full turn, what you finally gave up. Because the rest of that, as the beginning of the poem is this piling on of mundane activities, this is the piling on of the things that we think about when we're not reflecting more deeply on, you know, sort of just the matter of fact elements of life. When we're thinking expansively We want the spring to come and the winter to pass. We want this person to call or not to call. We want more and more and more. And building that part up as well, I think, is possibly where the genius of the poem lies because that's where it just snaps back. Because I think when we do start reflecting or entering a reflective space when you're out running errands or something, maybe you do start going on to like, oh, you know, in a couple months, I'm going to go take that trip. But it snaps back. And immediately the next... Stanza is, but there are moments when I catch a glimpse of myself, and those are the crystallizing moments. Those are the moments that quiet down the mundane and the expansive reflection and bring it to one point of insight or of remembrance. And I think the fact that she takes the time and the care to mention the cognitive part in addition to the physical world part is really a special component of the poem that helps make that last line really hit home. I totally agree. And and just one other,
1: I think that's such an important stanza. And one other part that I think makes that work is the shift that she makes into the first person plural. So it's um, what you finally gave up and then we want the spring to come and the winter to pass. We want whoever to call or not to call. We want more and more and then more of it. Um, and that, that first person plural sort of, it makes it obviously more universal of a claim that this is kind of the speaker talking about what human life is and what we all sort of want to do. And I think that helps with talking about the cognitive, is it distances these thoughts from where she is the speaker personally because it's kind of like this is not what i want right now in this moment it's like oh this is just what we want here i'm imagining the world um and that that extra distance that the first person provides then makes that snapback that you've talked about like all the more um powerful i think definitely i think
0: we gotta read it again gotta read it again (laughs) Man, I would, I, I would read this poem every day. It's so good. That's
1: could be what the living should do. Maybe
0: I'd
2: read this poem every day. Day.
1: Yeah. You know? All
0: right. All right. What the living do? Johnny, the kitchen sink has been clogged for days. Some utensil probably fell down there, and the drain won't work. But smells dangerous, and the crusty dishes have piled up waiting for the plumber I still haven't called. This is the everyday we spoke of. It's winter again. The sky is a deep, headstrong blue, and the sunlight pours through the open living room windows because the heat's on too high in here, and I can't turn it off. For weeks now, driving or dropping a bag of groceries in the street, the bag breaking, I've been thinking, this is what the living do. And yesterday, hurrying along those wobbly bricks in the Cambridge sidewalk, spilling my coffee down my wrist and sleeve, I thought it again, and again later, when buying a hairbrush. This is it. Parking, slamming the car door shut in the cold, what you called that yearning, what you finally gave up. We want the spring to come and the winter to pass. We want whoever to call or not call, a letter, a kiss. We want more, and more, and then more of it. But there are moments, walking, when I catch a glimpse of myself in the window glass. Say the window of the corner video store. And I'm gripped by a cherishing so deep for my own blowing hair, chapped face, and unbuttoned coat that I'm speechless, I am living, I remember you.
2: Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Close Talking. Remember, new episodes of Close Talking are posted the second and fourth Friday of every month You can subscribe to us on the iTunes store. And you can also find the podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or pretty much anywhere else you like to get your podcasts. Between episodes, if you want to stay up on the latest Close Talking news, be sure to like us on Facebook. We are at facebook.com slash close talking. Or follow us on Twitter at close talking. You can also reach out to us by email to let us know if you have thoughts on this poem or any of the poems we talked about in the past our email address is close talking poetry at gmail.com